message and a bit, yeah, a bit of insight into the life of Nathan Johnson. What an intro. <laughs> so we're reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. I'll give you a moment to find it. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And as a heads up, there's a distinct lack of full stops, so hold on to your hats. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, just as it has, before, um, just as it has been since among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learnt it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have the endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves and in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is word of the Lord. Okay. Centre enough? Wow. Okay, good evening, everyone. Uh, I'm Nathan, and um, by way of introduction, I'm married to Lucy, who's at the back, and we've got two teenagers, Ollie, who's just come back from DCYC, and Rosie, who's currently at Boardmasters. Okay, so uh, I'm quite excited to be here because this series of everyone, every day, everywhere takes that kind of theological into the practical. And that's the bit I really like. What do we do Monday to Saturday from what we've learned on Sunday? So the outline, uh, and I'll tell you a bit about my job as we go along, and this may sound slightly like a police brief, but we're going to do 10 minutes on understanding what the Bible says about it. Then we're going to do five minutes, and I'm just going to look at what that looks like for me in my day. And then there's going to be five minutes of questions at the end which is pretty rogue for a sermon. So what I need you to do is think of a question, because if no one asks a question, I'll just be stood here for five minutes at the end, and we'll have some reflective time. So why me? Uh, anyone who's presuming that I'm some well-published theologian or uh, someone who's totally dialed in with Christian living, then you're going to be terribly disappointed, um, because I'm not, and I'm not sorted, uh, and I'm not a particularly successful either. Um, I picked being a policeman out of a hat, uh, when I was 25, and I couldn't think of anything else to do. Um, but I definitely believe God guides us, because imagine if I'd picked out some sort of 
data analyst. I don't think I could do that. And I've kind of discovered that actually I'm not too bad at driving fast and going to people with knives. Um, you know, so it's, you know, it worked out in the end. But the real reason I'm here is because I'm big into Jesus. And so I'm big into Jesus, and this relationship is central to the very core of my being, and it's what happens Monday to Saturday when I'm not at church. So we're going to look at the passage, and there's essentially four questions. What's the context, and why is that important? That's kind of two questions, but one. Okay, so what's the context? How does Paul write to encourage the church to be everyone, every day, and everywhere? What does Paul pray for the church? And how will spiritual wisdom affect the church of Colossae every, every day and everywhere? So let's kick off by the context. And the context is always important. We can pick bits out of the Bible, and if we don't really know why it was written, we can kind of get a sort of a misunderstanding. So Colossians, it's a letter written by Paul to the church in Colossae. Colossae, Colossae, I don't know how to, so I'm going to call it Colossae, but don't use that if you, someone knows that's not the right phrase. I've just made it up. Okay, Colossae, which is a small town in Turkey. We don't think Paul ever went there when he was on his ministry expeditions, um, but we know it's a church that's grown out of his expeditions. So who wrote it? Paul. Paul was incredibly busy. He wrote 14 of the 27 New Testament books, uh, and he wrote this one from prison about 60 years uh, AD 60. Paul, I quite like Paul, so he's got this character that's massively zealous and massively passionate. So before he became a Christian, he was really into killing Christians. And uh, it was all, he saw Christianity as the biggest threat to his strand of Judaism. And so he was all for getting rid of it. Then we all know about Damascus Road, he becomes a Christian. And interestingly, his character doesn't change, but his behavior does. So God takes someone who's passionate, driven, energetic, and we just do a behavior change. Clearly, his behavior change had to just dial down killing a Christian slightly, uh, and maybe our behavior change needs, needs to change when we become Christians. So let's look a bit more of that as we go along. So why did he write it? So uh, Epaphras, Epaphras, Epaphras travels 1,300 miles to visit him in prison, and he says, Paul, the church is going okay, but we've got two problems. One, they're slipping back into their bad habits, and secondly, we've got a bit of a false teaching about rules and regulations to make themselves right with God. So Paul says, well, don't worry. What I'll do, I've got not a lot else to do while I'm in prison. I'm going to write a letter. So he writes a letter. And he writes this letter because the relapse back into old habits for the Church of Colossae were a constant danger. And this was their situation, three things. It's made up of Gentile converts. So these are non-Jewish people who have a range of spiritual and life experiences who've all come together and maybe in blissful ignorance to the greatness of God or active avoidance of knowing how God needs them to live their lives. The second reason is the social, demographic, and geographic environment where the church is based. It's hard to go against the flow of popular opinion in a city where anything goes. And the last one is this undeterred passion in their hearts. Although they've accepted Christ, they still have temptation. Sound familiar? Well, there is this real crossover, isn't there, to Exeter? There's definitely a trend for living by the rules to make and sort of to increase your happiness. Five fruits a day, 10,000 steps, um, looking into self for happiness, or even a danger of slipping into old habits in a city where there's definitely nowadays this desire to be on either end of this polarized, um, polarized society, which limits our ability to kind of live by one truth. 
So written 2,000 years ago, but totally relevant now. So how does Paul write to encourage the church to be everyone, every day and everywhere? So verse 4 and 5, we'll pick up there. And it says this. For we've heard that you trust in Christ Jesus and that you love all of God's people. You do this because you're looking forward to the joys of heaven. And as you have been ever since we first heard the truth of the good news, the good news, the good news, the good news is foundation. It's going to be foundation to in a minute to how you see that I try and live my life. But this is what they need to anchor to. The good news is truth. As a policeman, I'm obviously into evidence. Oh, I'm actually more into driving fast, but I am also into evidence. And um, the evidence of the Bible sound for me, and then the, my experience of it backs it up. So what is this good news? It's kind of a Christian expression that gets bounded around, and perhaps you're sat here this evening thinking, well, what is it? What is the good news, the gospel? I don't know what it is, but I'm here, so this is your chance this evening to hear it for the first time. And you may want to pick up afterwards with the ministry team to find out a bit more. Or maybe you've heard it all before, but you struggle when one of your friends says to, me, says to you, so what is this good news? What is the gospel? Well, fortunately, this passage covers it, because in, page, in verses 12 to 14, it says this. It gives you five truths. It says, always thanking the Father who has enabled you to share the inheritance that belongs to God's holy people who live in the light, for he has rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom and he has purchased our freedom with his blood and has forgiven our sins. So five things, and I'm just going to, I mean, this is a, this is a sermon series in itself. So uh, in one minute, I'm going to cover them. But we could do a whole term on this. So the first one is, what is the gospel? What is the good news? We share the inheritance with God. We are children of God. That is a truth that it says there. The second one is he's rescued us from Satan's darkness. So kind of a spiritual battle often isn't talked about in the Western world. If we're in a church in Africa, people are far more real and into and understanding of this spiritual battle. Whether we talk about it or not, there is a spiritual dimension. And so we've been rescued from Satan's darkness. It's not two signs of a coin, but Satan's an adversary of God, the personification of evil. Hebrews 2 says, Jesus broke the power of evil. The third point is, he brought us into an eternal kingdom. This is that future joy of heaven. It totally shapes and contextualizes what happens today, knowing where we're going. How can it not, and how can we not be heaven-focused? The next bit, the fourth one is, purchased our freedom from sin and judgment by his blood. Essentially, the Bible is a covenant. It's God making a relationship and um, an an arrangement with us as a covenant. First, he does it with Noah at the flood. Then he does it with Abraham to have a people who will reflect him. And then he goes on to Moses, who he rescues from slavery and brings him into freedom. And then it all climaxes with Jesus, where he takes uh, takes the wine and he says, after supper, he took the cup and he says, this is my new covenant in my blood. So God has purchased our freedom from sin, sin, just doing our own thing, going our own way, walking our own road by his judgment in his blood. And then the last bit is he's forgiven our sins. We can do nothing for God to love us anymore, and we can do nothing for God to love us any less. 
We can do nothing for God to love us anymore, and we can do nothing for God to love us any less. So this, if this is the first time, just take the opportunity at the end to have a chat in the ministry team and find out more. Or come on the Alpha course and you get a free pasty. So both of those are good opportunities because that, once we understand the fundamental truths, our life, living every day, everywhere, everybody, everything for Jesus is going to make a difference. So when is this good news happening? Verse 6 tells us this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's changing lives everywhere, just as it changed yours on that very first day you heard and understood the truth about God's great kindness to sinners. So it's everywhere. It's, happening not o- it's not just happening in Exeter. It's happening all over the world. And it's not limited by color or by class or by creed. It's everywhere. And it's happening to everyone. It's changing lives. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was really fortunate. Um, myself and my daughter went to Romania to help a pastor who's Romanian, and he's working with Roma gypsies. And we were there. That's like another, that's a sermon series in itself. I could be here all year. And so um, we went, and we went into this really poor gypsy community, 4,000 people, and the pastor's been there for 18 years, and he's realized that the only way to help these people is to church build. So he's built it both physically out of bricks and with people. And so he, we go and we listen to this lady and we do a pastoral visit and she is the victim of domestic abuse. As a police officer, I have witnessed uh, the whole span of domestic abuse and I think I could never be shocked. And I sat there with my daughter and our friend Attila, who's the pastor, and she was explaining her story. And um, her arm had been broken and never been, um, never healed, so it kind of wobbled from the middle. The um, levels of abuse that she was living with were culturally acceptable within that community. And Attila turns to me and he says, well, what should we do about it? And I'm thinking, well, I don't know, because every solution had a problem. So you take her away, she'll get, where's she going to go? You build a women's refuge, oh no. And the whole thing just didn't seem to work. And he said, there is one solution. We get the men to believe in Jesus, changing lives. So he's got 100 guys who come to his church who don't beat their wives, but they also don't traffic girls. And they're also not gang leaders anymore. And everyone in their community knows they go. So changing lives, and it's every day, it's happening now. From the first day of accepting Christ, the good news, there's no hierarchy of time served, number of times you've read read the Bible, fortunately, or how many quiet times you've had, or anything like that. This is about every day. So I've just read, and you should all read it, Jackie Pullinger's book, Chasing the Dragon. It was written in like the 80s. I take a little while to get on board with these things, but you all need to read it. It's about her time working um, Hong Kong in the walled city. But she tells of these young imprisoned drug addicts who she goes to visit, and she doesn't even have a Bible to give them, so she just gives them a small tract. And she goes away worried that they're not going to know much because there's only a few verses on there. They become Christians. They get baptized in the Spirit. They speak in tongues. They convert other prisoners, all from just a few verses. So it's not limited. And so Paul prays this into the church. So what does he pray for the church to grow? Everyone, every day, everywhere. Verse 9, he prays for spiritual wisdom. So we have continued praying for you ever since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete understanding of what he wants you to do in your lives. And we ask him to make you wise with spiritual wisdom. It's this understanding of what I've just been talking about will shape and change the way we live our lives. So such spiritual wisdom and understanding is the work of the Holy Spirit in our human hearts. Do we pray for spiritual wisdom? Do we pray for spiritual wisdom for others? 
And so if we do, and in this church in Colossae, there were three byproducts that came out of living with this spiritual wisdom, of understanding the good news and the gospel, of having a God-focused life, the byproducts in this part are this. Verses 10 to 12 say, um, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. You'll continually do good, kind things for others, and you'll be filled with joy. The way you live will always honor and please the Lord. You'll continually do good, kind things for others, and you'll be filled with joy. They're the byproducts of this spiritual wisdom. So it's all very good 2,000 years ago. We know that the context works for us today. But what does this look like when I leave church tomorrow? So I've got a slide of what my day looks like. Um, so this is, so, so, what I, so basically, I've somehow managed to find myself as the tactical firearms team commander, which is hilarious, because it sounds far cooler than my day actually is. Um, and, I, and I've sort of stumbled into it through a variety of paths in the police. And so the guys on the left are my team. This is a year since the Kiam shooting, um, and there are two of my officers there. And then the bit on the other side is my other specialism, which is um, uh, riots and disorder. So they're my kind of two things of policing that I have specialized in. And so what does it look like for me to understand the truth, to have spiritual wisdom, and to be a kind of person who's trying to live out Jesus every day, everywhere, with everybody? And so what I thought I'd do is just talk very quickly in for the next five minutes before we have some questions about the way I live will always please the Lord, continually do good kind things and be filled with joy. So the way I live uh, is obviously going to make a difference. And so the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. This top left picture is Bristol uh, in March 2021. There was a Kill the Bill riot. I came to church at um, four o'clock and... Uh, I sat here and thought, I didn't really think anything of it. And then Lucy was playing keys, so I went home with the children. And um, I'd actually been to some disorder in London the day before, uh, just for another job. And so I was quite tired, so I sat down. And interestingly, at four o'clock, Joe had prayed for our police. And so I thought, well, that's nice, quaint. Uh, and uh, <laughs> thought, I don't know why she did that. And then I went home, and then at eight o'clock in the evening, I took a phone call and just said, there's some problems in Bristol. Uh, we need you to command a team to go up there. So I went up there, and um, by 10 o'clock, we deployed straight into the disorder. And so we get out the van, and it's, it is the highest level of violence uh, that I've experienced, I think. So I've done some stuff in Northern Ireland. Uh, I've been to the London riots. Any big disorder I'd like to have been to. And so this was suitably cheeky. Um, and it was just kind of like a real level of violence that I'd not really um, experienced for quite a while. So how do I live a life that honors God in this situation? Well, it's really easy, isn't it? When you show up and you're all padded up, um, I mean, there's another story. We're supposed to wear all these pads, and it's never that violent, so I don't bother wearing them because they're quite heavy. And then someone was throwing house bricks, and I was thinking, I think I should have worn those pads that they'd issued me. And so, um, but how do you then make sure that you don't become part of that gang mentality? How do you command your 24 men and women to make sure that they do this in a sensible way because they're just humans on the other side? And that it's so easy for us to use excessive force. It's so easy for us to kind of have a them and us attitude. And that's not just in disorder. I hear it all the time when people are commenting on particular criminals and particular cr crimes that us as society have decided are bad, but probably in other cultures are more acceptable. They're still people. 
So I try each day to live it in a way that will always honor and please God, even in disorder, and even when I'm dealing with um, kind of the worst uh, of our criminals. It's about understanding the fallen world, but also understanding that there's nothing that I can do for God to love me anymore, and there's nothing I can do to love love me any less. And that's no different from the person we've just arrested. And so the next bit is um, continually do good and kind things for others. This is the other byproduct of having, um, of having that spiritual wisdom. So it's understanding what God has done for me and this motivation is not about kind of some self-gain or self-satisfaction. So it's not about doing nice things for others just because it makes me feel better. So there's definitely things um, which are sometimes pretty hard work when you're giving. We run a camp for teenagers at Easter, which is brilliant. Um, the rest of the year planning it is normally pretty hard work and like, oh man, it's just sort of fall out. No, you don't fall out with everyone, but you're just sort of like, oh, it's so mad. Come on, Lord, bring another leader. And so you sort of, you know, things are not always easy, but we're not asked to do things that are easy. You know, the way we shape our life, the way we open our home, the way we set our behaviors, the way we deal with our money, the way we want to give of ourselves, this is all a byproduct of understanding that we are found in Christ. How can that not change the way we do our day? How can that not change the way that we invite people over to our home? And then the last one is around being filled with joy. Um, and I suppose it's, if you really understand the truth, you can't help but be joyful. This isn't some faux happiness, um, you know, of whistling some kind of Graham Kendrick chorus as you walk around work. This is a deep-rooted joy knowing that you're, you know, you're at one with Christ. And so the picture on the left was particularly traumatic. We were on holiday when it happened. And the hardest thing for my guys who went to this, and this is the hard bit for me, how do I sit with them with this kind of understanding of who Christ is, listening to the stories? And it was particularly hard because the people who were victims in this situation were innocent and were, um, and were kind of like us. So you're it's bizarre policing because you tend to police a kind of society that you don't normally see in your day-to-day life and suddenly the two collided. And so the guys who went found it really difficult. And so when I speak to them, how do I show kind of God's understanding? How do I show joy in a world which is really messed up? You know, we deal with some really horrendous things in the police and we kind of, it all becomes a little bit normalized. And so when you're dealing with particular events, How do you keep a perspective of who God is and how do you try and shine that into other people but showing some real realism as well? So that's kind of understanding who God is, understanding what the gospel means and what that spiritual truth is definitely makes a difference every day, um, everywhere and everybody into our lives. So I just thought it may be useful because otherwise I could tell you some stories all day but they're probably... You know, I'd rather, if someone asked a question, then I'll be, I feel I've got a license to then tell a story. So, um, yes, we can tell you a story. <laughs> so I just thought it'd be easy, just maybe, would, if anyone's got any questions, do a few questions, and then we can talk about um, how we want to reflect on this afterwards. There was a question. Do you want a longer, what do you want the story about? <laughs> Did anyone have any questions about what it means to kind of live it out? Hi.
Yeah, great question. So I was really fortunate because my parents um, brought me to church and then um, I went to kids' camps in the summer. But I, I don't think I really made it for myself. I could kind of cuff church. I was quite good. Like I could come into church and make everyone think I was into it because I knew the things to say. But I was really quite distant. So I could come in and I knew when to stand and when to sit, which is an art form in itself. And, um, and then I, you know, and afterwards I would always say, oh, yeah, great sermon. But I didn't really, um, I didn't really own it for myself until I was late teens. And then it really kind of dawned on me that there was something that I needed to kind of do for myself. And I needed to take some kind of proactive step to say, actually, I've looked at the evidence and that stacks up. And I don't really get it all, but I'm going to jump in and buy into this. And I'm then going to live a life that Jesus has set out for me. Uh, did I understand it? Yeah, probably a little bit. But really, I think it's as the years have gone on, I've seen how the Holy Spirit has totally changed and shaped the way I live and the way I am now. I've seen kind of how God interacts with um, kind of what I do every day and, um, and totally understand more. As I get older, I realize that, you know, there's, there's things in the Bible, like the way the Bible's written and the way, if you took the Bible out of it and Jesus and you just laid out, you know, the kind of guidelines for life from the Bible, you realize that it would be a perfect world. And so you, like, you can't make that sort of stuff up. And so I knew a bit, I definitely jumped in and I made a proactive step um, to say, actually, I, wanna, I don't wanna follow my own way, I wanna follow Jesus's way. But it was a number of years of just growing and looking back, I've seen that growth. Good question. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. So I don't, it, amazing the police is massively diverse because of, you know, we want to be as diverse as possible. So when you say you're a Christian, it doesn't really matter. Even in my promotion board, I said I was big into Jesus. And um, uh, they didn't really know what, which box to tick that in. But, um, <laughs> and so, but there are definitely times when I, I want to be different. And so the, it's normally around people's attitude to certain crimes such as paedophilia uh, or you know, other kind of societal crimes that we think, we think society are particularly bad. And that's where I've really tried to kind of say, actually, everyone's redeemable. And so I've had some challenging conversations around we can't write people off because God doesn't write us off. Um, and whether that's criminals who we don't know or police officers who've become criminals. And so I've been kind of a big advocate of actually never deriding. I don't use certain language around criminals. I will always talk to them, talk about them as a human. And so I think that's the chance to really shine out and say, we're all, we're all fallen people. We've all made mistakes, but just my mistakes aren't particularly against the law. And this person's mistakes are. And, but they're all mistakes. We've all missed the bullseye. You know, even ours, we may have only missed it by a couple of millimeters and they've missed it by lots. We're still not right with God, and so we all need Jesus. Yes. Yeah, so bizarrely, I don't think I get angry. I think I definitely have this God kind of protection, and, and like the only time I was like, my, 
I can picture it now. My most angry moment was against a schoolboy who kept lying to me about not getting into a nightclub because he wasn't old enough. This is such a low-level issue. And I basically said to him, I'm going to take you home. And he was like, ugh, could you not get a proper job? That's why you're only a policeman. I was like, and I, and I, re I was so angry. And then I took him into his dad's house, and I wanted to say, I'm really disappointed in your son. You know, he's let you down, and he was so rude to me, and he thinks he's so entitled. And I think all I managed to shout was, like, I hate your son, and walk out or something. And so, but I think absolutely understanding spiritual wisdom has stopped me getting angry. I definitely think that. And I think I, you know, that was like a ridiculous story. And I, whereas like the real kind of hardened criminal or seeing the total devastation, I don't think I've ever really, and so maybe, I, maybe God's totally protected me from that. Well, I definitely think he has actually, because I see other cops getting quite angry at situations. Do I ever feel fear? Yeah, I definitely do. Uh, last Sunday, the guy I was with nearly crashed the police car and I was in the passenger seat. I was quite scared then. Um, and I think I, because I'm not very big, and sometimes people are quite big, so I definitely feel fear. But the most fear I felt, I went into a home which was very dark. You know, you just felt very dark. And I was praying a lot because it was, it just, everything about it felt like a really kind of, occulty, satanic kind of home. And I felt more fear there than I did, you know, with um, the um, liberal Bristolians throwing bricks at me. Um, and so, yeah, definitely, I think that fear comes from more of a spiritual battle than it ever has what anyone's confronted me with. Good stuff. Rich, last question. I've got quite into questions now. We should do them every week. Yeah, so I think that's a really good question, actually. How do you show joy in, a, in an environment like that? I, uh, so I, it sounds really corny, but I kind of feel like I'm a missionary in the police. I mean, that is so corny, but like, I definitely have that kind of view when I go to work. And I think I'm more into my, well, they're all guys now, into my guys than I am kind of into solving crime and into kind of large societal change around, you know, sort of criminal justice. I really feel my calling is to, is to them. And I, I now work with the, the alpha of the alpha males. <laughs> and so they're all really, they've all got an opinion. And so I absolutely kind of want to be joyous. And I only took this team over a few weeks ago and I went down to our firearms range and they're all there with their guns, you know. And I said, um, hi, I'm Nathan. <laughs> I'm going to be in charge of you. Uh, and I said, look, I, and I said to them, you know, this is what you can expect from me. I'm not the finished product. I'm not perfect, but I will always be kind. And I, you could see them thinking, who is this guy? <laughs> this is going to be an adventure. And, um, but you're, you know, I want to just kind of, what would Jesus do in these situations? How would he lead a team? And, you know, what, what can we do to kind of live out our faith when we're at work? And I'm not particularly good at bringing people, you know, into Christianity, I don't think. I don't think I'm particularly good at that kind of final step, but I just want to kind of people to go, oh, he's a bit different. Well, why is he joy? Why is he not always annoyed? Why doesn't he get really angry with these? Why is he sticking up for the criminal? You know, why has he got that slightly different viewpoint? And then hopefully they can ask a question, and then I can say, you should go to Alpha, 
because I've now done my work. Um, you know, and you want to just point people, don't you, gently towards Jesus. And I think that's the bit I probably want to get better at, is kind of then saying, look, I tell you what, let's kind of let's get involved in this together. But I'm not that good at that bit. So there you go. That's, in a year's time, I could do the follow-up and see if I've got any better. Great, thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So I, I, when I was kind of putting this together, I definitely thought it'd be really good. Um, there was, you know, understanding what the good news is really important. So uh, I felt I wanted to give an opportunity at the end for anyone who was like, actually, I've heard that good news. I'm kind of into it. I want to know what that is. I want to kind of dig in more to Jesus just to give people the opportunity maybe to come up with the ministry team and just say, that's me. I've, I've kind of been on, I don't really know anything about this. I'm brand new. Tell me, tell me what it is to follow Jesus. And um, that's your opportunity. Just come on up when we get the prayer team up. And then the other one is around spiritual wisdom. How often do we pray for each other to have spiritual wisdom? We sort of don't, do we? But the more we understand it, well, maybe we do, actually. Maybe it's just me. But we absolutely, the more we understand this stuff, the more it's going to make a difference when we go out um, on Monday. So it's those two things I thought would be really good um, at the end when the ministry team come up to pray. So either, look, I've heard this message of the good news. I've heard it. I want to know more. Or I want to just pray for more spiritual wisdom. Amen. Thanks so much, Nathan. Um, Well, let's.